Hey everyone, my name is Nathan and I'm the location pastor at our north location here at Reunion. And I'm really excited to be hanging out with you this morning. This past week I had an absolutely crazy idea. I decided that after a while of being off of it, I was going to get on Facebook for a couple of seconds. Which, I know, with the state of the world really does kind of feel like a bad decision. And you're not going to believe this. It's totally crazy, but the first thing that I saw was actually an argument. I know, that's so unlike Facebook. It shocked me too. Someone had posted some political hot take, and immediately, of course, someone felt the need to respond with all the reasons that the original post was wrong. And you know how these things go, right? The original poster defends themselves, someone, someone else jumps in to talk about why the original post is correct, and then the two new people start arguing, and the arguments are always the same. They repost the same talking points over and over to prove they're right. And then the other person responds with their talking points and proving why they're right. And it's like they yell at each other for a while before someone says, you know, I really wanted to have a civil discourse. And the other person responds, I've been nothing but civil. And you scroll down and then it happens again on the next post and it happens again on the next post. And over and over and over again, we see this. There's... There's just so much anger and fear and chaos in the world right now. I mean, let's move beyond Facebook political debates. You don't have to look far to see the chaos of the world. Over the past few months, we've witnessed a rise in anger. We've seen the videos uh, throughout COVID of the outbursts that are happening towards flight attendants that are happening towards restaurant workers, things that are completely out of these people's control. There's nothing that they can do about it, and yet people are berating them for just the smallest inconvenience. Things like just running out of a certain product, or um, when the kitchen's backed up with takeout orders, people are upset, and just all kinds of people for all different reasons. Sarah Lyle of the New York Times invited people to tell their story as a part of this article called, Why is Everyone So Angry? And after following up with multiple people about their stories, she writes this. As with so many things in the pandemic, it was clear that reality had begun to shift and that what once would have been horrifying, this outpouring of rage against a backdrop of constant low-grade mistrust, had become the new normal. I mean, there are numerous stats confirming a rise in bullying at schools. Fans are becoming more unruly at sporting events. I mean, the list of things could just go on and on. And this doesn't even take into account for the rise in gun violence as we've watched a horrific event after horrific event. Almost every week there is another mass shooting, another loss of innocent life, another day where we mourn the violence in the world around us. And that doesn't take into account the continued rise of political tension. Who We continue to be at odds with each other. We're isolating ourselves more and more from anyone who disagrees with us politically. And this isn't just a matter of Facebook arguing. We're shifting our friend groups based on political affiliation. We are disassociating from family members because of political allegiances. And we're feeling this on a micro level as well. This greater chaos is affecting us in our everyday realities. A few weeks ago, the day of game four of the NBA finals, um, God rest the Celtics, 
Uh, after Emily and I had dropped our son Haddon off at school, we decided to go to Veggie Galaxy for brunch. Um, just have kind of a nice brunch date. And since it was the day of the game, obviously we both wore our Celtics gear. And we show up and everyone immediately starts talking to us about the game. They're wondering if we're going to go live. And we keep telling them, oh man, like we would love to go to this game. But unless we have a kidney or a car to sell, there's no way that we can afford tickets. So multiple people tell us, you guys should go down to Copley. You know, they do a big kind of outdoor watch party there. So we're talking with our host for a while, and we tell her that we'd love to, but, you know, we'd have to find someone to watch our son since the game starts so late. And she, she you know, we, we really are just kind of the lame people that dress up to watch the game at home. And she, she said this thing that really stuck with me. We asked her if she was going to go down. And she said, I don't think so. I really want to. You know, I went down for uh, the last Red Sox championship. I've had been down for, you know, final games before at these fun kind of outdoor watch parties. But I just can't this time. I'm too afraid. And she glanced down and she kind of made the shape of a gun with her hand. You know, these aren't just abstract ideas that we're debating on Facebook. This brokenness is deeply affecting us. Maybe it's not the larger things that are breaking into your reality. Maybe it's just that work is crazy or that the pandemic has brought a ton of pressure or pain on your marriage or on your family. Maybe we've lost friends in the last few years. Maybe we're feeling lonely, we're feeling isolated. You know, there's so many ways that we could explain the world around us. But maybe one of the last words that we would use would be peace. And yet this is one of the ways Jesus chose to describe himself. Not only do we read God is a God of peace, Jesus calls himself and he calls his followers to be a peacemaker, to be peacemakers. So what do we do with that? How do we find a pocket of peace in a world of chaos? Maybe we should ask what really is true peace anyway? You know, we're in the middle of this teaching series titled, This is Jesus. And we want to take some time to deeply examine the life of Jesus throughout the Gospel of Mark. Because somehow this Middle Eastern Jewish carpenter altered the course of human history. He has countless followers spanning different countries and centuries and cultures. As we take some time to understand Jesus a little bit better, to examine the characteristics of who he truly was, we hope we learn a great deal more about this compelling and captivating and often misunderstood person. There are many times in scripture where we see Jesus enter into the chaos and brokenness. And today we're going to look at one of those stories. Right before the story, Jesus had just finished multiple teachings. He had spent the day um, telling stories and trying to help people understand the kingdom of God a little bit better. So I'm sure as this goes on throughout the whole day, as evening comes, he's tired. I mean, he's emotionally, physically drained. So he and his disciples, they get into a boat to travel to another city. 
And that's where we're going to pick up our story today. We'll be in Mark 4, and we're going to start in verse 35. We'll read this. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling but he, he was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? That they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? Jesus, exhausted and drained, gets on a boat with his disciples to travel to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Now, I imagine the disciples are also tired at this point. They have been um, helping with the teaching. They haven't been doing the teaching themselves, but they've been walking with Jesus and helping him throughout the day. So the disciples get into the boat, and this isn't a long trip that Jesus is suggesting. To get to the other side of the Sea of Galilee would have been about two hours, and because many of the disciples were experienced fishermen, they would have known how to sail very well. So you think, you know, a short trip that Jesus invited the disciples to take and he was going to go along with them. I mean, it feels like it should be smooth sailing, pun intended. But this doesn't turn out to be a nice relaxing trip. At some point, a storm comes. In an attempt to leave the chaos of the day behind, the disciples run into more chaos. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm terrified of the ocean. And mainly for me, it has much more to do with the 95% of it we've never explored. Because you know there are some freaky things down there. But also, it's things like this. That on the ocean, in the sea, weather can change in an instant. What seems like a nice, peaceful night can turn into a threatening event in a moment's notice. I mean, that's how storms happen, don't they? When we think about storms in our lives, we rarely see them coming, but then all of a sudden we look around and the waves are crashing everywhere. We don't know what to do. And the storm in this story, it seems like a big storm. I mean, waves are crashing about wind blowing every which way. And this would have been a small boat that this crew was on. One that could have been overturned fairly easily. One that might not have been able to hold up to the crashing waves. And even though the Sea of Galilee is small enough that from anywhere in it you can typically see lands. When it's night, when there's a storm upon you, when you need the wind to help you get where you are going, I'm sure that land and safety felt like a million miles away. And as the disciples are trying to keep the ship afloat, as they're doing everything in their power to control the chaos themselves, Jesus is asleep. I mean, don't get me wrong. I've had some long Sundays, and I have rocked some pretty intense Sunday afternoon naps. 
I couldn't imagine any sense of peace and calm and sleep in this setting. And yet, for many of us, this part of the story doesn't really surprise us. I mean, it might surprise us in the sense that Jesus is asleep during a storm. But I think many of us, if we're honest, have understood the disciples' experience. All of us have had a moment where it felt like Jesus was asleep during our chaos. All of us in our most broken and chaotic moments have looked around and asked, does God even see me? Is Jesus even aware of what is going on? When the illness came, we thought, is, is Jesus asleep? When we found ourselves without a job, we thought, is Jesus really asleep? When we're fighting with our family, when our relationships are broken, when we experience the wrath of someone's anger, when we look at the world around us and we're afraid, we wonder, is Jesus asleep? All of us have had moments where it felt like Jesus was asleep during our chaos. So we work. We work to break through the chaos. We work to get things right and get things under control. And where is God in the midst of our grinding and our work to try to get through these chaotic moments? I don't know. It feels like he's asleep. So sure, we're shocked that Jesus would do this in this moment, and yet we feel like he's done it to us too. I mean, so many of us, like the disciples, feel like we have to go wake Jesus up, get his attention, let him know what is going on. On because eventually that's what the disciples do. After they try to keep the boat afloat on their own, they decide that they need help to face this storm. They turn to Jesus, they wake him up, and he does something amazing. He calms the storm. He literally tells the storm to be still, and the storm does it. I can't even get my toddler to be still, and Jesus calms this chaotic storm in this sea that has some of these seasoned fishermen fearing for their lives. The disciples are astonished. Afraid even. That verse says they were filled with great fear. No longer afraid of the storm, but trembling in awe of the reality that Jesus had just calmed that storm. Peace of God was surprising to them in this moment. But notice what Jesus says. Because Jesus doesn't say, there you go, things are calm, everybody good. He doesn't say that, hey, you should feel better now that everything's fine. You should feel peace, the storm's calm, you can relax. He actually looks at them and says, why are you still afraid? Why do you still have no faith? He doesn't acknowledge that they should have peace now that the storm is over, but that their faith should have led to peace in the middle of the storm, which is monumental because it means that peace isn't the absence of chaos, but the presence of God. 
Peace can be experienced even in chaotic times, even in turbulent times, even in uncertain times. God has always brought peace to moments like this. Throughout Mark's gospel, Jesus brings peace. When Jesus enters into the injustice of his time and stands for the helpless, the lowly, the outcast, that is Jesus bringing peace. Jesus says as much in John 14, 27, where he says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. When Jesus fed the hungry, when he healed the sick, when he cleansed the lepers or walked with family members to go and care for their loved ones, Jesus brought peace. And it wasn't just that people were healed or fed, because eventually those people got hungry again. Eventually, some of those people got sick again. What brought peace is that Jesus entered into their story, that God stepped into their chaos. That is why one of the greatest moments of peace can be found in one of the most brutal moments in history. That is why the crucifixion of Jesus, this violent, painful moment, was actually the climax of peace in our time. Because that moment marked the time where Jesus radically changed and redeemed our story, where he did something about the lives of everyone in humanity by allowing us to experience his grace at all moments of our lives. See, the cross brought peace and healing like nothing else could because it brought God's presence to all of us, and it made his presence readily available through his spirit within us. So that even in the midst of our pain and chaos and hurts, our faith can point us to the cross. And the cross reminds us that love can cut across political division. The cross reminds us that our response to anger can be grace. It reminds us that we can operate from a place of grace instead of a place of anger. The cross reminds us that our family can find peace again, that we can embrace community in moments of isolation. The cross reminds us that peace can be experienced in the here and now. The cross reminds us that pain doesn't have the final say. That it has already been dealt with. It has already been defeated, even if it doesn't know it or act like it yet. Because that wasn't the end of the chaos for the disciples. After this crazy night out at sea, they finally get to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And guess what? Chaos is waiting for them there. They get out of a boat, onto dry land, breathe a sigh of relief, and they are met by a possessed man waiting to wreak havoc for them. There seems to be this belief that peace means that chaos is finished. But in these stories, that doesn't ever seem to be the case. And many of us have wanted to believe the lie that we can have a life of peace because our lives won't be so busy or so stressful or chaotic or scary or anxiety-ridden. And we do anything to try and experience that false definition of peace. We seek solutions that promise an absence of chaos. 
If we just watch the show, we can escape the chaos for a little while. If we just drink this drink, we can escape the chaos for a little while. If we just watch this game or go on this vacation or buy these things, the chaos will just be a little bit more bearable. But somehow we wake up the next day or the next week or the next month and chaos shows back up in our lives like it never left. Like C.S. Lewis said, God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from himself. It is not there. There is no such thing. See, but Jesus, being the son of God, because of what he did on the cross, began to usher in a kingdom where the chaos will actually be no more. And he invites us to get a glimpse of that reality today by sitting in his presence and allowing him to bring us a glimpse of peace, even when the chaos still reigns. Because this peace that Jesus is offering us is very different from the cultural definition of peace that we often pursue. Puritan preacher Thomas Watson said it this way, if God be our God, he will give us peace in trouble. When there is a storm without, he will make peace within. The world can create trouble and peace, but God, God can create peace and trouble. I mean, that's the irony of it all. The peace Jesus offers us will actually one day bring about the sense of peace that culture tries and fails to give us. The cross reminds us that a day is coming when chaos actually will be no more. But it also offers us the presence of God in the midst of chaos today. No other solution can actually put an end to the chaos, but Jesus truly will. No other solution can actually calm the storm, but Jesus truly can And even though the disciples still had to navigate the water because of the presence of Jesus, they eventually made it to land. I believe that Jesus is guiding us that way now. So today, I want us to truly ask ourselves if the presence of God has truly been our definition of peace. Do we believe that peace can be experienced when chaos is no more. That is the only time that peace can be experienced. If so, if we think that's the only definition of peace, how is God challenging that belief today? And how can we, in the midst of our chaos, better point to the God who sits with us in the middle of the storm? I mean, I wish, I truly, I wish I could tell us that anger and pain and violence and fear that all of it's done that it's no more and we can be at peace I, I can't I can simply remind us that that day is coming and also that we can get a glimpse of God's ultimate peace right now that we can remember that God is close to the brokenhearted. God loves and sees those that feel invisible to the world around them. 
that God cries with those who are mourning. And scripture tells us one day tears will be no more. There's a word for this in scripture. The word is shalom. Shalom is a Hebrew word that is translated as peace. But shalom means a lot more than peace. See, in Hebrew, words often go beyond just the simple definition. Many words carry an emotional weight with them. Shalom is one of those words. It is a feeling of contentment, but also completeness, wholeness, well-being, harmony. And scripture talks about a time when shalom will be final. That there is a time coming when shalom will be complete and the world will be marked by shalom. Yet it was also used in everyday language. It was a way of greeting someone, something you would want someone to experience in their everyday life. I think that's such a beautiful picture of God's peace. One day a final shalom is coming. But we can also know that shalom today. That peace will ultimately be the defining characteristic of God's kingdom. But it's also something we can experience in some small way in the here and now. I pray that we can experience shalom in our lives. I pray we can be a people that bring shalom to the world around us. Pray that we're open to God's presence, the presence that brings peace and shalom in our lives today. And I pray that we are a community that is a vessel of that presence to the world around us. Let's pray. God, we have... We look around us and we see so much chaos and pain and hurt. We see so many things that break our hearts because we believe they break your heart. My prayer is not just um, that we would experience peace, but that you would usher in peace into our world. That we would soon see that time that shalom is here. And we would see the time where we don't have to um, mourn so much pain because you have erased pain, where we don't have to shed tears because of anger and hurt and violence because they are no more. And yet we get we ask that you give us peace as we wait. You give us peace as we long for that moment. And you give us the ability to live in that moment, even when it's not truly fully here. We love you. We thank you for being with us in our chaos. And I pray that you remind us so many times when it feels like you're asleep, that you're near. We love you. Amen.